Hello and welcome to the MBA Talk podcast. I'm your host Andres and I work for Optness, an institute that fosters social and economic development through the promotion of the best management methodologies. In this episode, we are joined by Adrian Stern, an Isare graduate from the 2018 class. Adrian works in one of the biggest European banks with digital transformation. Now he is CEO of Reveal.id a music tech venture startup that collects music data by offering a digital passport for creatives. At the time of this interview, he was leading Meteorite, a music blockchain startup that connected artists directly with digital streamers and download platforms. In this interview, we will understand how did he manage to be president of an NBA club, have two internships at the same time, be part of an exchange program in Berkeley has and how he was able to make the change in his career to follow his ambition and her to work in something that he believes. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Hello, Adrian. What's up? Yeah. Hi, Andres. Can you hear me? I'm very happy to have you here in the show. Uh, I know that you travel a lot. So uh, where are you? Where are you today? Uh, I'm currently in um, in the Bay Area, in Berkeley. Oh, cool. So close to Haas. Exactly. Very close to Haas. I'm actually in the offices of Skydeck, uh, which is the the Berkeley Accelerator, because MediaWrite, uh, my startup, has been uh, accepted as one of the teams for the uh, for the spring batch. Cool. That sounds exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very nice. So um, so I'm here right now. I'm, I'm normally based in New York, but I try to I try to um, share my time between New York and and the Bay Area. That's quite a, a flight. You you have to travel a lot. Yeah, it's um, it's I mean it's like a five six hour flight. It's long, but it's okay. <laughs> okay, you told me you are in the Bay Area. Can you tell me more about you? Where are you from? Uh, your name? Yeah, sure. So my name is Adrian Stern. I am Swiss and American. I grew up in Switzerland, but then when I was 25, I left for the U.S. And uh, then since then, has I've traveled a bit, you know, lived in Spain and Germany, on the West Coast, on the East Coast of the U.S., um, but now based in New York. Cool. If you have to name a, a, an entrepreneurship resource, like a website, a podcast, or a TV, YouTube channel, can you mention one? Yeah, I have a couple of ideas. I think one that may be surprising, actually, um, uh, a good resource for entrepreneurs, I would say, is Headspace. Headspace. Uh, yeah, the meditation app. Uh-huh. And the reason why I say that is that, you know, being an early stage entrepreneur is like a rodeo it can be really stressful it's a lot of highs and a lot of lows and i think having some type of habit that helps you you know be more grounded and appreciate the ride that you're on is really important so that's why i say headspace <laughs> i know it's a it's a little un unconventional but no that's great <laughs> Many times we, we think about uh, getting more information, but sometimes we just have to stop yeah. the flow of information. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks, and you know, I think podcasts like 
startup from Gimlet or how I built this from NPR are really great resources in order to to hear the stories from other founders. I feel like that's that's always super beneficial because in the end, you know, you find yourself in similar situations and hopefully you can, you know, you can get some learnings from other people's experience. So those are definitely other resources that I love to to tap into. Great, great. And uh, today you are the owner of MediaRite, right? Yes, I am the one of the co-founders and the CEO of MediaRite. And MediaRite is a music tech uh, venture, and we're looking to we're looking to rebuild um, a fair music industry. So we're looking to use blockchain to help music right owners be in direct relationship with the digital service providers, all the big streaming and download companies. Great. I want to talk uh, later about uh, MediaRite. Before, I want mm-hmm. to ask you, uh, well, I see from your profile that you were always an entrepreneur, right? You haven't had like um, a moment in your career that you said, okay, I want to become one. Um, well, you know, it's it's funny because when I was younger, I didn't necessarily consider myself an entrepreneur and only later have I realized that that was sort of always you know a part of what I was trying to do um when I was you know managing the band for me it was just like I because I used to play in a reggae band uh, based in Switzerland uh-huh. called Naja Vibes and you know I was the guitarist and I was like okay well let's let's see how far we can take this and so I started managing the band and I I never thought of it as like, ooh, I'm being an entrepreneur and I'm starting a business. I always thought of it as like, this is what I love, so I'm just going to try to push it further. So I think I think I always had sort of that natural instinct to, you know, pursue the things that I'm passionate about and try to to build my life around them. Yeah, so interesting. Okay, so you from the beginning you were involved in the music industry, right? Yeah, that's how I started my my professional life, yeah. Okay, but uh, from there, so you are the manager of Naja Vibes, of a reggae band in Switzerland. Yeah. How did you come, the idea of going to business school? Yeah, well, there, was, there were a couple of steps uh, in between that. Um, when I was 25, I felt like I needed to reorient my professional life and, and maybe try new things because... I loved music, but it was such a hard industry to, you know, to to make a living off of. And so I decided to move to the U.S. and I uh, I got a job in banking um, at BNP Paribas, the French bank, uh, because they needed someone to help them understand digital communications. Um, and I had used that a lot for the band. And so so basically I started leading this digital transformation project uh, at the bank to shift more of the communication, the marketing to digital. So I worked for three years, almost three years at BNP Paribas. And, you know, I got a lot out of it in terms of understanding how big corporations work, understanding the need for processes and working cross-functionally, et cetera. Um, but I think I got to a point where I was ready for new challenges. And I, quite frankly, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. But I knew that it 
I wanted it to be more towards innovation, entrepreneurship, and something that was maybe more faster paced than big traditional big corporates that who you know can be a bit slower sometimes. Right. So that was that along with the fact that I, you know, always had the intention to sort of pursue my studies. Um, those were the two main drivers for me to be like, now is time, now is time for me to do an MBA. Okay, and this was in the in the U.S., right? Uh, a branch of BNP Paribas in the U.S. In New York, yes, correct. Mm -hmm. Can you give me some example of of the work you were doing there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, basically, um, we were looking at how we can use digital communications for you know not only for like PR and brand awareness, but also for marketing and for, you know, for some of our spokespeople to to be on some of the social media platforms and for, you know, sales teams to be able to reach out to prospects and potential clients. Um, however, you know, this was at a time where, where banks were not necessarily using social media uh, on a, from a sales perspective and um, especially not in like investment banking. And, you know, it's a highly regulated industry. Right. And so there were a lot of processes and, uh, you know, sort of regulations that we had to make sure that we would put in place and, and uh, follow. So it was really a digital transformation project in the sense that it involved, you know, new IT uh, software to be implemented, new compliance policies to be put in place, new HR, HR policies to be put in place. And of course, you know, um, working with all the different business areas to, to see what strategy, what digital strategy should be, should be implemented for each, uh, for each one of them. So it, very cross-functional, uh, which helped me you know, really understand how a big organization like BNP Paribas is shaped and, you know, what are the actors in terms of, of pulling, you know, such a project together, understanding the types of dynamic for like change management. Oh, that yeah. sounds very interesting. So you were exposed to a lot of areas within the company. Mm -hmm. how, how big was your, your team? Um, so I was I was actually staffed in the um, what was it called brand and communication team. Uh, it's a tough question because I was actually alone on the on the project, but working um, so alone in terms of headcount on the on that project, but but sort of leading the transformation team, which was cross functional, and you know. Uh, had, I guess, senior executives from the different branches or functions represented, and then, you know, team members within IT, HR, compliance, uh, and the different businesses. Got it. So, uh, yes, in a sense, you, you were exposed to a lot of people you had to talk with. Yeah, you know, it was it was like a project management position almost, you know, where you don't necessarily have people that work under you but you have so many people that you need to influence right uh, yeah in order to get the project moving yeah i get it i get it <laughs> okay so from there you wanted to change to a faster pace company and then you thought okay maybe it's the time to do an mba and you go to esadi in barcelona yeah 
Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, some of the motivations were, how can I move to a faster paced environment? How can I be exposed to different industries and different function to actually, you know, be able to have a better idea of what I want to do? And how can I continue my studies? Because I always wanted to do, you know, a master's or something like that. But <laughs> what I find funny is that you went to uh, the business school, but then you had uh, like uh, two or three internships opportunities. You, went, yeah. <laughs> you were president of the Design and Innovation Club. Yeah. And man, you did a, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do an MBA was to be able to try, you know, and to get to get real experience and real insight into different industries and different functions. Right. So I immediately started the MBA in a very proactive way of, you know, what is interesting to me and how can I organize my MBA to make sure that I can experience as much as possible so that I can, you know, at the end, make a choice that feels like is right. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was really lucky because the MBA de Sade offers a lot of flexibility. So I was able to, you know, sort of take a lot of electives and squeeze the first uh, four terms into one year, mm -hmm. uh, which allowed me to then have six months to do, you know, two internships. And so then I was able to do one internship in a sort of IoT startup and then a second internship in, um, you know, in consulting specifically around venture building and innovation. Uh, and those were, you know, those were amazing experiences. What you got from these experiences? What you learned? I mean, you know, I got um, from the first one from the first internship at Braggy where I was doing business development, I got that experience of what is it like to work in a scale-up? Because um, I think, you know, there were already around 200 people when I got there. Um, understanding, you know, how fast a young company moves uh, and what are really the responsibilities of a, of a business development position in that type of, of uh, company. So that was, that was extremely insightful. And then the second internship was at Deloitte Digital Ventures, and that was, that was also fantastic. I got uh, staffed on a fintech project, um, something that I was really interested about. And it was uh, the way that team operates is it's really an entrepreneurial experience. So you're working as an entrepreneur for you know, an established company, sort of building a spinoff, if you will. And so that was... That was great because I got the early stage entrepreneurial experience. I also got a lot of exposure to really well-designed processes because, you know, it was under the umbrella of Deloitte Consulting. Right. So, so really well-oiled uh, machine uh, and just learning how uh, sort of the efficiency uh, in those processes was, was really valuable. Yeah, I can imagine... Uh... These are very two different type of startups, if you want, because in one, yeah. uh, you have pros and cons in both of them, right? Absolutely. Okay, but while you were doing these internships, you mm -hmm. still had the idea of being an entrepreneur or you were, um, you were recruiting 
like uh, most of your peers, I suppose? Um, you know, I was... Um, or you weren't thinking about it at all? No, no, I was, I was definitely thinking about it. I was, actually, it was really interesting because when I started the MBA, you know, I always had the hope that, I always had the hope that I would find, you know, classmates with whom we would have an idea and we could start a business. Mm -hmm. um, that was always like, I was sort of always dreaming that that would happen. And, and it didn't really happen. So when I finished the MBA, or no, actually, when I was in the end of the MBA, I was like, well, you know, I should, I should look for jobs as well, <laughs> just, uh, just in case. So I was, I was kind of, um, I was doing both. I was looking for jobs in fields that were interesting to me, like the ones I did internships in. And I was as well, you know, cultivating different potential venture ideas and trying to see if I could find the right partners to do it. And actually, it was during the last semester of the MBA, which I did here at T. Berkeley, because um, I did an exchange, that everything sort of came together. You know, I had a great entrepreneurship class here, and it really helped me sort of connect the dots in my past experiences. So, you know, I had been in the music industry and I knew how painful it was to um, to track royalties and to get a good understanding of how uh, your catalog is performing. And then I had worked in banking where like people were starting to talk about blockchain and how that whole industry was going to be uh, impacted by that you know new technology. And during the MBA and during this entrepreneurship class with uh, Professor Kurt Bayer, I, you know, we, we, he sort of taught us how to look at the trends and see how we fit in the trends and where we can find opportunities. And, you know, I was looking at my past music and at blockchain. And I was looking at how streaming is becoming the new way that people consume music and is actually finally bringing growth back into the music industry that has been in decline for so long. Right. Um, and so all of a sudden, all these dots connected. And I was like, you know what? This is a perfect opportunity for me. I, I know the industry and technology at a high level. It's a good time to do this. I think we can actually really use the technology to help artists be paid uh, more fairly. Oh, so this is how MediaRite idea was growing in your head. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I lost you uh, a moment. This entrepreneurship course was at Ezade or yeah. was at Berkeley? It was at Berkeley. Great. Cool. Very cool. Okay. So going to Berkeley, this is a, a program that Ezade offers. So people from Ezade can go to Berkeley and vice versa. Yeah, exactly. Ezade, Ezade has a huge amount of partnerships with, you know, with some of the best MBAs in the world, MBA programs in the world. So there are opportunities for exchanges uh, really all over the place, especially here in the U.S. with some, you know, amazing schools. So I was I was fortunate enough to qualify and to get that exchange opportunity to come here at UC Berkeley. And uh, and that I mean, that was a great experience. Yeah, I imagine Barcelona is a big hub in Europe for uh, startups, but it's yeah. not comparable to the Bay Area, right? Yes, of course. You know, nothing, I think nothing in the world compares to Silicon Valley. 
But I have to say Barcelona is is quite a great place. And, you know, in Europe, it's definitely one of the strong um, entrepreneurship hubs. And, you know, Isade is lucky to have a great entrepreneurship professor who has really been driving, you know, both a master's and MBA programs towards a really strong, you know, entrepreneurship um, focus. And so... So I think Esade really does help people or help students get that entrepreneurial spirit. And then being in Barcelona is great because you get to, you know, you get to collaborate or visit a lot of the companies uh, who are starting there. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, interesting. Okay, but then you land at Has at Work, which is an agency inside UC Berkeley, right? Yeah, Hasset Work is a really cool, um, it's a cool program. So it's actually an elective, right? So it's part of the um, part of the program and, and, you know, students can choose it or they can choose it and hopefully be accepted into it. And it's, it's basically, you know, you act as a consulting, as a design consulting agent, agency and you work with real companies to solve real issues. So, yeah, I was, um, you know, I was lucky enough to be part of that. And we worked with one of the major American banks and basically did, you know, an entire design innovation project for them. Mm -hmm. You published a lot of slides on your profile, which are all of them very interesting. Like uh, you did this Wells Fargo project, then something related to water lot of interesting subjects. Yeah, you know, I, I really wanted to embrace the opportunities that the MBA gave. And so, you know, I, I took a leadership position as the president of the Design and Innovation Club at ISADE. And I signed up for a lot of case competitions. And, you know, that allowed me to work Uh, on projects for Chinese companies and, you know, American companies and Spanish companies and, um, and to really work in a lot of different industries. And I think one of the beauties about doing an MBA program is that it's a toolbox and they, they give you, you know, a, a lot of different tools that you can use or keys. And then it's really up to you to build what you want to build and go open the doors that you want to open And I, I tried to build as much and open as many doors as I could through those two years. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious how you handled all this because it's a lot of work, right? Yeah, of course. You know, it's, it's a lot of work. And I think, you know, when you enjoy what you're doing, work doesn't seem like work, right? Right. And I really approach the MBA and I approach my work with media right now in the same way where I just try to have fun with, you know, the work that I'm doing. And I try to appreciate the hard moments and I try to appreciate the fun moments. And I think that if you're able to keep that mentality, then, you know, work doesn't feel like work so much and, and you can do quite a lot. But one of the learnings for me of the MBA was actually understanding what was my limit in terms of how much work I could take on. And I think, you know, what I discovered is that we can we can stretch ourselves pretty pretty broadly when we're passionate about what we're doing. 
And so, you know, I always try to get involved in, in stuff that is important to me that I feel passionate about. Yeah, that sounds great. What are one of the limits you discovered stretching yourself? Um, you know, I think, I think you, you learn how to, you learn how to build teams and how to work with different people during the MBA. It's a very collaborative, um, at least I decided, it's a very collaborative approach to work. And so, um, so, you know, you quickly learn what are your limitations, what are your expertise and what you're not an expert at and how to find people who can complement your skills. Because if you don't do that, you're not going to be able to perform well. So I think, um, you know, that was, that was a great learning for me in terms of realizing that some people have a lot more knowledge than I do in specific areas and I need them. So how do I, how do I surround myself with people who can help me? Great, great. Okay, so you are in Berkeley. You are by the end of your MBA. When MediaWrite starts? So I finished my MBA last uh, summer and I had, you know, I had a job offer and on the other side, I had this idea for MediaWrite and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. So I decided to give myself a couple of weeks to see if I could find the right partners, you know, to start the business. And so that was the first step, you know. So last summer, I started looking for people who were, you know, ready to be entrepreneurs, who had the right skills, who were passionate enough about the problem. And luckily, you know, I found two great co-founders, uh, Walid, who's a full-stack developer, and Angeline, who's a blockchain engineer. So then I was... Then I had on one side a startup idea with the right team or a job offer that was, you know, that was good. Um, and so now I had a, a choice to make. And I thought, if I don't try this business now, I might regret it uh, one day. Right. If I don't take the job, I can find another job. But this, this idea has the right people now. It's the right time for it. So I just, I just need to go. Uh, and that was um, in... That was in September 2018. 18. Right. Yeah, that, that, that's, I find that's uh, such a powerful mindset because, yeah, of course, you can launch a, a startup while you are working, but mm -hmm. it's much harder, you know. I tried to do this and, uh, yeah, you, you come from work, home exhausted. Of course, as you yeah. said, uh, you like what what you're doing but uh, you're not giving your best hours to it and and so it it takes much much longer to start something right yeah absolutely um and you know we found we found an arrangement with my co-founders where you know they're still working part-time and I'm I'm full-time but it it made sense because it's a very Um, I guess it's a, a bit more business heavy than it is development heavy in this early stage. And, and so, you know, you got to find the right fit and the right uh, arrangements with your, your partners. But I believe, you know, I didn't want to go in with just one foot. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to jump in fully and give it a real shot and, you know, give it a certain amount of time to try it out. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, it doesn't work and that's life. But, but I wanted to give it everything that I had. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, tell me, what's wrong with the music industry? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there are so many things that are wrong with the music <laughs> industry, but you know, one of the things that I find heartbreaking is that artists, on average, make twelve cents for every dollar that their music generates. Twelve cents. Um, okay. Twelve cents from a dollar, and so you know, the reason why that is is because the value chain of the music industry has so many intermediaries who all take a cut. And um, don't get me wrong, like some of these intermediaries provide a lot of value. And at one point, there were, you know, every intermediary had its uh, a real purpose. I think now that we're in a digital age, where over 50% of music consumption and revenue from recording music is now coming from digital platforms, streaming and download, um, there's less need for these intermediaries. I would even say there's no need for them. So what we're looking to do is actually build technology that really allows music right owners, so that's labels, publishers, artists, songwriters, um, allow these people to be, and these companies to be in direct relationship with the big streaming platforms and download platforms. And for reaching these, you are using blockchain as a technology. Exactly. We, with the technology, we can basically replace what uh, the current intermediaries are doing, you know, and basically uh, encrypt the data and ensure a secure flow of information and of payments between uh, the different parties on both end of the value chain. Okay, because uh, most of people in our group know what uh, blockchain is, but uh, for most that don't, uh, yeah. at least from, from my understanding, uh, blockchain is like a, a big accounting book where everyone writes down their balance and their transactions. So when you check mm -hmm. books with one another, you can... You can yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a, you know, it, you, can, you can resume it or as a as a big decentralized ledger right but is it's not used only for payments but there are other types of transactions that can be used for right well you can use it for for payments but you can use it as a decentralized database right and you know and then with smart contracts you know you can automate the execution of different conditions right okay so you came with this idea of decentralizing and making more lean the chain of uh, value from the listener to the musician, right? Exactly. You went for investment funds. Are you bootstrapping this idea? Yeah. So we're, you know, we're at a super early stage. It's been, um, it's been only a couple of months since, uh, since we have the team together and still we got this started. So we're, We're actually, um, you know, we're starting our fundraising now and, you know, we already have some good validation. Uh, we've been talking to a lot of record labels. We've already signed a couple of letters of intent and we, you know, and we're working on our MVP currently. So, um, so yeah, we're moving ahead on, on all fronts and hoping to, you know, to raise our first round uh, soon. Great. Are you going to grow your team soon or is still early for it? Um, we're growing the team in the sense that we're bringing on um, some really great advisors 
we're not looking to really grow, um, let's say, the operational team yet, but uh, that will definitely happen, I'd say, in, uh, you know, in the next uh, six to nine months. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Yeah. Okay, I want to start with the wrapping up questions now. Okay. So my first question is, what do you think about those the skeptics that say that business school is a waste of time for aspiring entrepreneurs? I mean, you know, it's a tough question. I think you should only do an MBA if, um, if you know why you're doing it. So most people have three motivations for doing an MBA. The first is they want to change industry. The second is they want to change function. And the third is they want to change um, geography. Right. And, of course, you can combine. They're not mutually exclusive, right? You can combine these, these changes. But if you're not sure that you want to do either of those three, you know, I'm not sure it's valuable. And then for, for an entrepreneur, if you have the skills that you need to start a venture, an MBA is definitely not necessary. However, if you don't have deep business background, I think an MBA is a wonderful way to acquire that. And the reason why I say that is it's not, you know, it's not a theoretical program. It's not like a master's. An MBA is very applied and very hands-on. And most of the education is done via case studies. Um, And so you're, you know, you put yourself in the skin of a CEO or of an entrepreneur or of a chief marketing officer or whatever the case is. And so you understand what the thinking is behind the decisions that are taken. And that's extremely valuable for the day where you're an entrepreneur and you need to make those decisions. And you have, you know, you have something to fall back on because you've already sort of put yourself in in those shoes before. So I think, you know, I think it's it's hard to say, you know, every entrepreneur should do an MBA. I don't think that's the case, but I definitely believe that there is a lot of value to be gained uh, for for entrepreneurs. With the benefit of hindsight, would you have changed anything about your business school experience? No, honestly, no changes at all. I'm so happy with with going to Asade with uh, the choices that I made for internships and for exchange programs. And um, I honestly have nothing to change. That sounds great. Okay. Uh, If people would like to reach you, where they can contact you? They can contact me either on LinkedIn or on Twitter. I think those are the two best best ways. So you are Adrien Stern. Adrien with the E, right? Exactly, A D R I E N Stern S T R N, and uh, that's both my LinkedIn and my Twitter. It's pretty easy to find me. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian, this was a great talk. Uh, I'm very happy that you were the first one, and uh, it went very smooth for me. Andres, uh, thanks for the questions. Um, I, you know, I really appreciate it. I look forward to to seeing what what you take out of it. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for that. I hope the best for, for you and, yeah, a lot of good luck. Mucha mierda. Hey. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Good luck to you too. And, uh, yeah, please feel free to shoot me an email anytime. Adrian, thank you very much for your time.
Andres, take care. See you. Thank you for joining for this episode of the MBA Talk podcast, a podcast brought to you by Opnis Institute. You can find all notes for this episode, as well as subscribe for future episodes at opnis.com slash MBA Talk. That's O-P-T-N-E-S-S dot com slash MBA Talk. And if you are enjoying the show or have any comments, topics, or guest suggestions, I love if you shoot me an email. My name is Andres, and you can write me to mbatalk at opness.com. With that, thank you, and we'll see you in the next episode.